we've been looking at love and the importance of thinking about what real love actually looks like from 1 Corinthians um, 13. We looked at how love isn't just that gushy feeling you get when you sort of you know, fall in love with someone. Um, it's more than that. Well, then we looked at how love is patient. Okay, that was a challenge to us all, how love is slow to become angry. And then a couple of weeks ago, Adam spoke about how love is kind, kind words to one another. Well, today we're going to think about the next description of love from 1 Corinthians. And that is that love does not boast and is not arrogant. That love does not boast and is not arrogant. And the greatest desire that God has for us as human beings is to know the love of God and to share the love of God with those around us, to really know and experience the love of God. When we spoke about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we were talking about how really it's about being filled with God's love. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we should experience love the problem is, is that sin, the things we do wrong, or the mistakes we make, break that flow of God's love into our lives. And often it leaves us with a gap or a void in our lives that needs to be filled by God's love. Often I hear people saying, you'll have heard it too, there just feels like there's something missing in my life. There's a gap in my life or there's a void in my life. There's something that needs to be filled. And the problem is, when we have a gap or a void in our life, when we're not filled with the love of God and we have that space in our lives, we try and fill it with lots of other stuff, stuff that the world offers us, stuff that um, kind of isn't always that great for us. It doesn't satisfy us. The things of the world don't satisfy us for long. It might do for a while. We might think, oh, this feels great for a while, but then it kind of loses its satisfaction. That's because that space, that gap, that hole in our life was designed to be filled by the love of God. That's what it, we are designed for. And sometimes we find ourselves competing with one another for the things of the world, you know, like competing who's got the better of this and who's got the better of that. And when we lose that, that competition, that's when we become envious. That's when we become envious. And the Bible tells us that love does not envy. And then it says it not, does not boast, it is not arrogant, and it is not rude. Boasting is when we show off our strengths to other people and hide our weaknesses. When we show off our strengths, it's a bit like a peacock, okay? Think of a peacock. Did you know there's something called peacocking in the human world? Did you know that? There's something called peacocking. And apparently, it's particularly with men, it's what men do when they try and attract a mate. Okay? They, it's called peacocking. And here's some tips. They're taken from the Men's Health magazine. Okay? If you men are thinking, I'd really like to find a mate, okay? um, then this is the your moment. Okay? This is apparently what you've got to do okay, to strut your tail feathers and flap a bit. Okay? So number one, you need to pick your social media photos that stand out, apparently. Apparently, you have 0.5 seconds to attract the attention of someone okay, because they look through so many things that you need a social media photo that can stand out. It can be shocking, it can be fancy dress, but you just have to capture the attention that makes someone look at that photo. Number two, make sure you work on your posture. You must stand tall, you must 
you know, make a presence of yourself. You must give lots of good eye contact, apparently. Have your head held high, be confident. And finally, find your style. Okay, I like this little paragraph. It says, there's a fine line between fancy dress and peacocking, and it's one you really don't want to cross. Statement blazers, vibrant hats, and accessories, showy shoes, they're all perfectly acceptable forms of peacocking. But turn up in a full-body hot dog costume, and you've gone too far, far too far. Okay, so um, I wonder if you can look around, and is there anyone peacocking here this morning? I wonder, looking, shiny shoes, fancy, vibrant hats, or anything going on? Well, it might seem like it's quite funny, but that, apparently that is quite a real thing. Um, and we look at it in a light-hearted way, but the Bible tell us, tells us that real love does not boast. It does not boast. And when we boast and we only display our strengths, okay, only put out there our strengths, or what we're actually doing is trying to get recognition from the other person. We're only trying to make ourselves actually feel better in some way. Um, it's all about me. This is about me. I want the attention on me. I want you to say how wonderful, how incredible I am. Arrogance, again, is a step beyond boasting. Okay, It's, it's the next step beyond if boasting is displaying and showing off our strengths, then arrogance is believing them, believing we are actually the peacock. We are the man, okay? We are the main center of attention here. We are the peacock. And both boasting and arrogance are a major blockage to allowing God's love to flow into our lives. They're a major blockage to allowing God's love into our lives. The opposite to being boastful or arrogant is having humility. Is having humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Okay, listen to that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. The evangelist Moody said this, I have had more trouble with myself than with any other man that has crossed my path. If I can keep him right, I don't have trouble with any other people. You know, we love to blame things, don't we? We love to blame things on other people when the problem actually lies within us. We always look to blame someone else or a circumstance or a situation when the problem lies within us. The truth is in our own hearts, that our hearts aren't right. It's no different to what happened right back at the very beginning of time, the beginning of creation, the book of Genesis. If we go right back into the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve shifting blame to one another for the actions. You know, Adam said, it was the woman who gave me the fruit and I ate it. He shifted the blame onto Eve. Eve says, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So she shifted the blame onto the serpent. And so often we blame our circumstances or the people around us for our own actions. We look to blame others for our own actions. And we forget to take responsibility for what we ourselves have done. I want to take a moment to read a parable that Jesus told about two men who went to the temple to pray. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It will also come up um, on the screen. 
to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What we notice here in this parable, this lovely parable, a challenge to us all, is that the one who humbled themselves, who admitted their sin, admitted their wrongdoing before God, who owned it, who acted in humility, he was the one who went home justified before God. He was the one. Most of us struggle with boasting and arrogance in some way. That's just a true fact of life. It's hard to hear it, but we do. We're all so good at it. We don't need to be taught it. We don't need to learn to boast. We just are good at it. In fact, we do it so often that we don't even notice that we're doing it. It's part of our lives. Sometimes it's our bodies that we display. Sometimes um, it's relationships, sometimes it's possessions, it's the way we look, it's our wealth, it's our talents. There's so many different things that we display and often our social media world has made this worse, isn't it? The first thing we want to do is show everyone, look what I've got, look what's happened, look what's, what's done, look at my body change, look at how different, look how amazing I look this evening as I'm going out um, and, we, and we do that. And that's become a culture that we live in. We don't even realize that we do it. We all know people who are expert name droppers, don't we? Do you know a name dropper? Someone who's a name dropper loves to tell you who they've met, who they've bumped into, who they've been socializing with. We all have a tendency to do it at times. We take some perceived strength that we have and we try and get others to notice it. We do our best to get recognition from it so that we can feel good and we can feel important in some way. We can have that you know, feeling inside where we feel great for a moment. And somewhere in our back of our heads, sometimes if we're honest, we're having those conversations, if only they knew how great I was, or if only they knew what I had achieved or what I have or what I've got. We have those kind of thoughts. And then we, re we think, oh, they would just realize how great I was then. That's, that's how we kind of feel. And I think that one of the greatest traps that we can fall into of boasting and arrogance is feeling like we need total control. That's a really hard one. People who feel like they have to have total control over every situation. Humility is giving up that control. And I tell you what, that is really tough. It's really tough for a control freak like me, okay? It's a really control, uh, tough if you can identify with that, needing to be in control. Um, we do it naturally, don't we? I think as families, we kind of, you know, you just run everything and you feel like everything hinges on me. 
I'm the most important one here. If I didn't do what I do, it's all going to fall apart. And that's where it kind of comes from. Um, we had um, a bit of a hilarious scenario this week when I think Andy Wade probably thought that Martin needed some therapy for his chair obsession, okay, until I walked into the hall. Um, we were laying out the chairs in here. If ever you want to know, learn anything about control, okay, um, both Martin and I are high aesthetics and... Um, yeah, Martin laid the chairs out. Andy was laying the chairs out, fine, okay? Martin's going to Andy, that's not right, and he's moving it by 10 centimetres, okay? Making sure the aisles are perfect, everything has to be just right, okay? And Andy's like, seriously, this guy, like, he needs, he needs to get some help with this. Um, and then I walked in and went, what have you done? What have you done? These are all wrong. And I'm like, lining them up the other way and having the aisles and things, and I have funny little quirks about when I'm speaking, I like the doors closed, because um, it's scary me if they're open and all these kind of things and uh, I like to have control of the situation and the temperature I came in today and I said Ellie it's boiling in here turn the heating off you know like everything has to be just woo, right in my little bubble and it's really really hard to let that control go and I'll just allow God to take control giving up control isn't e easy and actually what it comes down to is pride it's pride. It's believing that things won't happen the right way if I'm not doing it. That's what it is. It's pride in our lives. And we have to keep our focus on God and keep reminding ourselves that God doesn't need me. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He, he, he's God, <laughs> okay? But he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us. It's some amazing mystery that he actually wants to use us and that he loves us and that he loves us. And knowing and understanding that truth frees us and it helps us to take our hands off the steering wheel of our lives and to say, actually, God, I'm going to take, let you take control of this situation. Take, you take control of my whole life, God. I'm going to take my hands off this steering wheel. When I'm in control, when I'm trying to accomplish things on my own, do you know I think too small? I think too small. I look at the achievements that I have and the things that I have accomplished, and they're tiny in comparison to the plan that God has for my life, to the things that God wants to achieve in my life. They're tiny. And I've made them into this great thing. And God says, but I've got so much more. I've got so much more for you. So what do we need to do to give up this control? How can we give up this control? What we need is humility, but we also need courage. It takes courage. You know, we need to face our fears. You know, we just sung a song in our worship this morning saying, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I want to pray into that at the end because I think for some of us, that's actually, we can sing it, but actually we're still quite fearful. We're still quite fearful and we need to let ourselves go. We need to face our fears, tell them to move aside because we've got a bigger God who's in charge, a bigger God who's in charge and at the steering wheel of my life, at the steering wheel of my life. 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hand so that he will lift you up in his good time. Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. 
And once again, the truth that real love is shown through humility is countercultural. Everything that Jesus says or everything that God does is countercultural. It's against what our culture would say. You know, we're taught to look out for number one, aren't we? Look after number one. We're kind of always having our back of our minds, well, what's in it for me? What's in it? What will I gain from this situation or from this relationship? What's in it for me? But the biblical teaching is to put the needs of others before ourselves, to humble ourselves, to think of others before ourselves. And that introduces us to the challenge of meekness, of meekness, not only humility, but meekness. And meekness, I don't know if it's just because it rhymes, but it's often perceived with weakness. Meekness and weakness. But that's not what the Bible is saying at all. If that's your concept of being of meek is being weak, then it's wrong. It's completely wrong. The word meekness, as used in the Bible, means power under constraint. Power under constraint, power under control. A meek person might have the ability to hurt you, but chooses not to. They have control, they have constraint over that power. Jesus was described, he was described as meek and mild. Jesus certainly wasn't weak. Jesus was not weak. He was far from it. He was strong, he, but he did not return insult for insult. He didn't strike back. He gave us the example of living with humility and meekness and dealing with others in gentleness and in kindness that we learned a couple of weeks ago and with patience. That's what Jesus demonstrated to us. This means humbling ourselves. Sometimes it might take us going to someone and saying, I don't know what I've done to hurt you. I'm sorry if I've hurt you. Let's try and work this out. Even if we think we're in the right. Even if we strongly believe we're in the right and they're wrong. It might take us to say, have I done something to hurt you? I want to work this out. That's humility. That's where meekness comes in. We need to get rid of that me first kind of attitude, that kind of what's in it for me, and start thinking as Jesus would have us think. Start putting that biblical, that God's love into our lives. What can I do to help others? How can I help or, um, and others to deal with their conflicts? How can I bring humility and love into this situation? And this way of life can be life-changing. It can be life-changing. And the only way that it's possible for us, I believe, to get to this point because that's really hard, particularly when we feel we're in the right. The only way that we can get to this point is by recognizing that none of us, not any of us, have done anything at all to deserve the forgiveness and salvation of God. None of us are worthy on our own. Anyone who stands before God, stands before God in his grace and his mercy alone. Every single one of us. And for this reason, we cannot boast in our own abilities. We can't boast in our own strengths and abilities, but rather in the power of God to save us through what Jesus did on the cross for each and every single one of us. 
That's what we boast in. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31 says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We don't need to put ourselves on display like a peacock. We don't need to be doing that. But instead, we need to be free to be pointing people to the love of God that is shown to us in Jesus, that has been shown to us. We're full of God's love. It's that love that needs to be displayed in our lives. That's what we should be showing to those around us.